When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Welcome to the Family Brain with your host, Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. So today on the Family Brain, I am talking to Laura Corwin Burkhart. She has lots of accomplishments, but... One of her biggest accomplishments is being my friend for a really long time. Um, And Laura has an expertise in helping families navigate social media and technology challenges. One of the biggest questions I get on the podcast is, how do we do this? I mean, question after question. And sometimes I post a new question. What what else do you guys want to hear about? And that's still what people want to know about. So thank you, Laura, for coming and sharing all you know today. It's such an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So my first question is just how you got into this. A lot of parents are sitting at home, scratching their heads, just kind of complaining about this issue. Mm -hmm. And we talk about it with each other and say, ah, Fortnite, I can't take it. You know, my kids, you know, snuck in their iPads, but you actually decided to do some research, which knowing you doesn't totally surprise me, but can you tell me a little bit about how that all came about? So I have three kids. They're currently 12, 10, and 8, and their interactions with devices began probably as as most people's do, which is my husband and I would hand them our device to basically keep them occupied with a game or a movie or something. Um, But as they got older, and I I noticed that it was for my son when he was in fourth grade... Um, that he became more sophisticated and wanted to use the devices for other things and for more periods of time. And this caused friction in our family, um, and which I think it does in a lot of families. Um, and what's hard is that these kids, I think because they've grown up with it, unlike us, they pick up on it so fast. Like they know how to navigate things. Like even, even um, you know, for myself, I set up some sort of limit through Apple and put in a password. Well, my child watched me put in the password. Right. Yes. I mean, I know it, the the password issue is is hard because you know you you on your own device you can change the password, but then your kid needs it for something, and then they know the password. Right. So and they know your moment of weakness when you're just like whatever, just take it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know the password already. Just take it. Yeah. Um. But my son. Um. 
you know, as he started to become more sophisticated, he was using our devices for kind of outward facing activities. So he was, you know, went on an internet browser and did a search or um, watched a YouTube video. And there was one occasion where a friend came over with his iPad when my son was in fourth grade. And they recorded videos, which they posted to Musical.ly, and they showed me the video, and it was the boys dancing with their shirts off. Um, and that was my first kind of wake-up call of, wow, I mean, I have not taught my kid anything about what electronic communication is and, and responsible use of it. And so um, I thought, because iPhones have been around since 2007, that there had to be like kind of a standard playbook for parents of, of how they should teach their kids about these issues and take control of what their kids are doing with devices. But it was interesting because unlike sort of every other parenting issue that exists, like feeding, um, driving, sleeping, there wasn't any kind of standard of this is these are the things that you should do as a parent of kids that are growing up with these devices. So I sort of decided that I would designate myself to be the person to come up with the playbook. And so I did, I did a lot of research and I created this website called Worldwide Parent where I am sharing with parents what I learned about best practices in dealing with these issues. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. I, well, I'm acting like I'm surprised. You told me about this, obviously, which is why you are here. I'm not hearing about this for the first time. But I remember you talking to me about it, and I took some of the advice that you had given me. And this was in the very early days. And I remember the feeling of, like, just having a feeling of a shift in my own feeling of control over it, you know? And just, not that I needed to, like, lord over my children, but just I felt like I had been... Well, I... I had felt more just so out of control. Like mm-hmm. I, this is this technology and I guess I don't have, I can't do anything about it. You know, right. I just didn't feel like I could make any changes. Um, and I, I thought that your advice was good. Well, so tell me a little bit about um, some of the things you learned when you first started looking into, you know, what are the biggest challenges? What are parents facing? Um, and I know a lot of parents feel like they're the only ones. I mean, that's sort of why I'm doing this podcast is people mm-hmm. feel like, oh, I'm the one with these kids that are obsessed with iPads and, you know, other people must be doing it right and I don't know how to do it. But I think we're all kind of on the same boat here. Yes. And that is another reason that I that I wanted to do it because it seemed like from my conversations with parents that, that we were all succumbing to sort of peer pressure from our kids for them from them saying to us oh I'm the only one that doesn't have their own phone whereas if you talk to other parents you find out you know there's probably two or three people in the fourth grade class that have their own device Um, and so the two main things that I believe and sort of from my research is that these internet ready devices have the potential to do such awesome things for kids so there's apps where they can practice their Um, math skills. They can log reading minutes. Um, They have access to music, any music that exists. If they have any question, they can Google it. Um, And then for you and I, especially, we have family that's all over the place. They can keep in touch with family. So there's so many wonderful things um, about kids using devices. Um, But because of the dangers that exist, we parents today have a major parenting task that our parents didn't have to deal with at all. 
Um, and so, you know, I think that parents have to keep, teach their kids about appropriate use. They have to spell out the rules and expectations so that parents and kids are on the same page about how these kids are going to use the devices. And then they have to enforce the rules. And the way that I think it makes sense to enforce rules is through these um, parental control services that exist. You know, I was thinking about, I have seen something this summer going around about parenting when we were little. And it was like, summer now is, you know, camps and you know, where, where are the kids going to be and iPad limits. And back then it was like, lock the door and open a tab. That was the parenting, <laughs> you know, which no offense to our parents. I, we know you did more than that, but it feels like I've realized in other conversations I've been having about this topic that I have a lot of resentment that I have to deal with this. Yes. Yeah. And I didn't notice that until I've started having these conversations and I'm, I'm kind of angry with the person telling me what to do. Like, mm-hmm. Like on top of everything we're already doing as parents, now I have to be a technology expert and install these apps and I don't know how to do it. And it's very frustrating. So what do you say to that? Well, it's interesting because I think that that sense, I have that sense too. And so for a long time, I said, oh, my kid isn't going to get a cell phone until they're driving. What's the point? Mm -hmm. You know, why are we adding this huge level of complication to our lives? And, um, There is a movement among parents, and actually uh, there's a group of parents in Austin, Texas, that started this movement called Wait Until Eighth, and parents sign a pledge that says they're not going to give their kid um, a a smartphone until at least eighth grade. And I think, like, I loved that idea at first, but my concern is that um, even, even if a kid doesn't have their own device, they are absolutely going to be exposed and using devices, right? So our kids like take our phone to look something up or to make a call. They have access to everything that's on our phone. Um, You know, their grandparents' devices, their friends' devices. And so I worry that if parents shut it off entirely um, or wait until a certain age, that they're kind of giving themselves a false sense of security that they've solved the issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas I think that it's something that has to be addressed because these devices and the internet are going to be part of their lives. And I think that we as parents have a really cool opportunity to teach them about appropriate use while they're still young and they still listen to us and the mistakes that some they... some of them I don't I'm not sure what's happening at your house but okay I'll, I'll go with you they, yes um so but they're definitely going to make mistakes right like my my son dancing on musically with his shirt off but the mistakes that I think the mistakes that they make when they're younger are much smaller yes um and so I think that teach that starting teaching them about it when they're younger um, is the right way to go. So what would you say about, I want to talk more about the parental controls that you have found to be useful. What would you say if somebody says, well, I want my kids to make mistakes early. So what am I doing with the parental controls? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like, am I, am I imposing too much parental control so that they're not learning their own Yes. modulation. Yes. Well, <clears throat> the parental controls, so th- there's a few different aspects of the parental controls. There's there's contr- actually controlling how and when your kids use devices. So there, one of the applications that I recommend is called Our Pact, O-U-R-P-A-C-T. Um, and all of these recommendations are on my website. Um, but that sets up schedules and time limits. And 
I, I think that as I've been using it with my kids, I've noticed that that they become accustomed to, to time limits. And so I think that it creates a habit of there being a limit on it mm-hmm. and you're not going to just do it all day long. Um, and so I, I think that it's helpful to establish habits of creating limits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you're talking about is, you know, he sends out an inappropriate text or, um, and those are things that I, I don't think that you can control, um, but you can monitor it. So there's, um, there's a service called, you know, kids, that's little you and then K and O W kids. And <clears throat> through Apple's iCloud, um, it will monitor, um, all your kids text messages, the URLs they visited, um, who their contacts are, and it will send you an email. It, so it actually monitors all of this stuff for you, and it will send you an email when something suspicious comes up. Oh. And it, it's funny because there's evidently a lot of um, terminology that kids use that you and I would have no idea about. And so it, it tells you, it highlights the issue, shows you the text with a potential issue, and then it defines. Oh my gosh. Right. So, and then you show up to your kid and you start using the words and they're like, what's happening to mom? Yeah. Well, I get the alerts all the time because my husband calls my son Bud. And so every time he writes him a text message, he's like, hey, Bud. And it's like, alert, alert, Bud could mean marijuana. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so I think that that, you know, they, they will make mistakes. And in fact, um, my son in the last couple of weeks has gotten text messages from unknown, like sort of, you know, from unknown numbers that said, Hey, um, I found you, I found, I think we live in the same neighborhood. Um, you can find me here with a link to URL. Let's meet up for a drink. And so that's like really scary stuff. And so that, because I saw that, that gave me the opportunity. I mean, I've had this conversation before, but to go back and say, you know, don't ever make contact with somebody that you don't know. Um, Because, and this is sort of getting into a more scary topic that um, the FBI is warning and noticing that child predators are using um, social media sites and technology to reach out to potential victims. Um, And so, you know, that gave me an opportunity to reinforce that point. Yeah. No, it's scary. It's scary. I um, was talking to um, another person on the podcast, and she was saying that her daughter, she had taken away her privileges for phones, but was using a phone from someone else, and people were reaching out to her, and she was about to be trafficked. So it's so scary. It's really scary. And it's it's one of those things that you feel like you just see on TV or, mm-hmm. you know, that's just that weird one-off. But right. unfortunately... Yeah, and I, 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 I thought the same thing. It's like, you know, you hear that child predators target vulnerable kids, you know, but I think just getting those te- – getting seeing his text messages mm-hmm. that he got, I think that they're going after everybody mm-hmm. and sort of seeing what, what works. Right, and vulnerable kids, all kids are pretty vulnerable as yes. it comes to technology, yes. right? I mean, this is something that's so new that we're not always – informing them about. Right. Oh, this was the other question I had just in terms of privacy. How, so say your son or one of your kids is starting to date. Does it show all of the, the, does this app you're talking about show all of the back and forth? I mean, I guess I'm hesitant. I want my 
child when it gets to that point to have some level of privacy yes without being totally in the mix of their back and forth right um so how does that work does it does it give them some privacy or not really i think i think that's a great question and i think that um every parent just has to make the decision that is right for them i mean i'm not personally at that point yet and so i i don't think that i have a conclusion on it um but you know there there is a lot of debate of people that talk about these issues of should there should kids have privacy or should they not have privacy if they need to have a private conversation maybe they should do it in person um and not via text message um i think that there's also the issue that i think it's really important that's critical for parents to make their kids understand that anything that you do on a device is forever and you should assume it's everywhere and so, you know, maybe you don't want to do something on a device that you wouldn't want. For example, I, I tell my kids, don't say or do anything on a device that you wouldn't be comfortable saying in front of a room full of your, of your friends and all of their parents, um, because that's what you have to assume is going to happen. Yeah, I love that. One of the things I'm curious about, and I'm just thinking as you're talking about parental controls and limits, is my own behavior and how I'm using technology and how my modeling of my own use, what kind of message is that sending to my kids? Yes. Um, yes. I mean, even if I've noticed, even for this podcast, I've tried to start doing more on social media and that's great. It's a great way to reach people, to let people know about the podcast, but it I, also means that I'm looking down at my phone a lot and right. not really in a very mindful way, just right. in a... And then my kids will try to talk to me. I'm like, I'm doing something. Well, I'm kind of always doing something if, right. if my phone is always in my hand. So what? Right. Basically, I'm not accessible at all. Right. Yes. So. I think that that is such a hard and key issue, which is, you know, we as parents want to try to model the behavior that we're telling our kids uh, that they should be doing. So, and I was thinking about this yesterday because I have, we have a rule that our kids don't bring a device into a restaurant. Whereas, you know, sometimes with my husband and I, we went out to dinner last night and like if he gets up to go to the bathroom, I'm immediately like looking at my device. And so, you know, I don't think that I do a good job of modeling it, but I think that that's the goal. Mm -hmm. um, so the current article of um, the Atlantic magazine has a great article by Erica Christus, and she talks about exactly this issue. Um, not so much from the, from the perspective of parents modeling good behavior, but how our interactions with devices affects their own development. So specifically, um, you and I are having a conversation. So you say something, I nod my head, um, and then I respond, and then you respond, and there's, there's sort of this back and forth. Um, whereas she talks about parents today in, uh, in being a state of continuous partial attention. And so because you are you, 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 your kid says something, and then you might be like, wait, huh, wait, what? Oh, okay. You're disrupting that back and forth, which can actually affect kids' language development. And she says that um, language development is, is the single biggest predictor of academic success. And so that sort of partial attention could have um, real developmental effects on kids. Wow. I can also put a link to the article on the show okay. notes, um, but... 
What else have you found in your research about the effects of technology on people? And I think that's probably why we haven't had this playbook for parents, because Mm -hmm. we didn't have any information. That's so true. Yes. So what kind of information is coming out? What kind of research is there to help guide us or just really to um, of how our behaviors affect our physical body? Yes. That's such, it's such a great question. And um, I think that you're exactly right, that it's only just now that um, the research conclusions are starting to be shown. So in terms of like physical and mental um, problems, um, there's been a lot of articles recently about spiking levels of anxiety and depression among teenagers um, and just like just in the last few years. And they're linking this to to social media. And then the other thing is, uh, radio frequencies, and this is this is something that I just re- learned about recently. If if a device is using um, Wi-Fi or cellular or Bluetooth, the way it's doing that is through radio frequencies, and the World World Health Organization has named radio frequencies as a Category Two B carcinogenic, which means that it's possible possibly cause a cause of cancer. And other other things that are in that category are DDT, lead, um, and so it's you know it, it is a potential problem. And studies have been done in rats that show that long term exposure to radio, these radio frequencies um, cause cancer and DNA damage. Um, and so just recently, I think in the last year, the American Academy. So the so the other thing is that those radio frequencies are studies on adults, but kids. Because their their skulls are thinner and they have higher water content in their tissues, their their body's absorption of radio frequencies is much higher than it is for adults. So the American Academy of Pediatrics just recently came out with a list of ten things that you can do to limit your family's radio exposure, uh, radio frequency exposure, and they're mostly about creating distance between your body and your device. So um, uh, don't hold the device right next to your head. Don't keep your device in your pocket, which I think is something that a lot of us do, but that then it's just sitting right next to your body. Uh, it also says that if you're going to watch a movie, download it first and then turn your phone onto airplane mode and watch it that way rather than streaming it. Um, and so those are sort of ways to reduce that radio frequency exposure, which um, I think a lot of people don't know very much about, but um, could pose significant health risks to our kids as they get older. This is one of those things that you wonder like 20 years from now, if somebody would listen to this and be like, oh, maybe it causes a problem and just laugh at us because we don't know. I mean, we're right. just all learning this and, right. and maybe it, it won't. Or but it could be like smoking. That's what I'm thinking is like, perhaps smoking might cause harm to our children. And now that's just so laughable, right. you know, but yes. And it, and it is one of those, the radio frequencies thing reminds me of what you were saying earlier, like, oh my God, this guy, I've got something else to worry about. Um, but I think that if you look at those 10 recommendations, there are relatively simple things that if you just create a habit that you're not going to keep your phone in your pocket, that's a good step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about, I know you have these recommendations for different apps and programs that help monitor and and control kids use 
I know one of the the things that I've noticed about your organization that's different from other things I've seen is this idea of groups and supporting each other. Tell me a little bit about why you decided to do that and why you think that matters. Yeah. So I've I've been having these conversations with parents at my at my daughter's school and it seems like something I heard over and over again from parents is that they want to know what other parents are doing again back to that like oh I I I think my kid is the only one without an Instagram account I better give them an Instagram account no probably not and so we have a, a functionality on worldwide parent where a parent could go in like you could take one of your son's class lists and you could invite everybody to be part of the group and as part of the group you would fill out a 10 question survey which the, your answers would then be posted anonymously to the group so it's that the survey says things like we set time limits for device usage for our child our our child cannot access their device after 8 p.m uh, or after a certain time at night um we don't allow social media. We don't allow violent video games. And then so you can see among your kids' peer group's parents how many of them are doing that. So you don't feel like you're the only one who is setting up these sorts of uh, restrictions. So if I were going to do something like that and send out a message, do I need to be a part of Worldwide Parent as a member? Or do all of the people have to be a part of Worldwide Parent as a member? Or how... Or is that sort of... Yes. they. I mean, if they want to join the group, they basically register with their email address and a password. Okay. So it's pretty basic. Yes. Involvement. Okay. No, I love that idea. I mean, I, can I just send it to like everybody I know yes. and see who wants to be a part of it? Yes. Or does it have to be a specific class or a specific set of people? Well, I, I set it up with the idea that it would be like a, a kid's peer group's parents because oh, okay. then the answers are specific. Like what I do for my 12-year-old is not the same thing as what I do for my 8-year-old. Right. And so I would want to see what other 8-year-old parents are, are doing. So that's why I kind of thought about it as specific groups. Yeah. And I can picture it being more impactful for it to be a kid the other your child knows. Because yes. if I say, well, Jake in Minneapolis, who's Jake? I don't care. You <laughs> right, know, right. I mean, but if he knows it's another child in his class... Right. You know, it may, maybe makes him feel differently about it. Yes. No, I love that idea. And that's one of the things that I think parenting in general, you know, we used to have more of this village mentality, but we're all sort of operating much more in isolation now. And I love this idea of kind of reaching out and sort of saying, clearly we're all struggling with this. Let's band together and figure out what we can right. do for each other and to help support each other. Yes. I love that idea. If somebody's listening to this and starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed, hmm. what would you say are some of the most important first steps? Like, like where do I even begin? This is just too much. Yeah, I, I totally hear that. Um, I think the great, a great first step is to come up with a contract between you and your child about their usage. And what that does is that sort of forces the parent to sit down and spell out how how they want their kids to interact with the devices. And so <clears throat> if, if you go to Worldwide Parent, there you can go to the contract section and create a customized contract for your child. Or the way I did it for the first time is I Googled cell phone contract and I printed out, you know, five examples and I read through it and I 
sort of pulled out the ones that were that are important to me. And I felt like that was a really helpful way of taking, you know, all these ideas and, and all these opinions about what, we, what you should be doing and laying it out on a piece of paper and going through it point by point with your child so that the two of you are on the same page about about how you want the child to use the device. Okay. And so then once you have the contract. So I think the second step is to enforce the rules of the contract with parental controls. And so, you know, I have, my idea is that parents want to control, filter, and monitor what their kids are doing on the devices. Um, And so when I was looking for a solution of, of like what parental controls I would use, what I wanted it to do was, I, I mean, I thought that this, this should already exist, but it really doesn't unless you piece together a bunch of different solutions, which is I thought that it sh- you should be able to set up a device so that your kid has lots of access to um, Kindle, for example, or Clock, or you know uh, the New York Times app, but has limited access to things like Fortnite. I mean, that seemed elementary to me. Um, the other thing that I would want to do with the device is filter out inappropriate content and and have uh, my kid have to get my approval for any new app that they want to put on their device. Um, and then just monitor the, the stuff that we're doing, tracking URLs, um, looking at who they're contacting, images that they're getting. Um, and so I think the solution is for control, this application called Our Pact. Um, now, I, um, Apple has just announced recently that this fall, the new uh, version of the iOS software, which is the, the software that operates the Apple devices, is going to include some of the features that Our Pact offers, cool. which will be great. So, I mean, I haven't it obviously hasn't come out yet, so I haven't been able to take a good look at it, but it seems like it will have the ability to say, okay, you know, you're only going to get 40 minutes a day on uh, Fortnite, but you can have as much time as you want on Kindle, um, which will be great. The current iOS software has parental control features, which allow you, um, if you set up Apple family sharing, it also has the ability to filter out inappropriate content. Um, and then I've mentioned you know kids before as a way of um, kind of monitoring their outward-facing uses of this technology. Um, there's another app that, that is very similar to you know kids called Bark. Um, so I think parents could use either you know kids or Bark. I never got to the second step because I set up our pact, which I love, but it took a chunk of time. Yes. I'm not super tech savvy, and it took me a bit of time yes. to figure out how to get it on there and working properly. But what I love about it is that you can do it for each kid individually. You know, so if one of the kids isn't respecting the contract, for example, mm-hmm. that kid you can alter. Um, but tell me a little bit more about the service that you're offering. So if someone's listening to this and feeling super overwhelmed by all the steps, I basically want you to come to my house after this. So yes, <laughs> do well, this for me. That's, I heard that from parents at my school that, you know, it, it was great to sort of have this recommendation of services, but it took a, a lot of time and mental energy to set it all up, especially if you're doing it for the first time. And so I am offering to, you know, go into parents' homes and like take all their devices and, and set all of this stuff up for them. That's an awesome service. <laughs> That's, I mean, it does, it takes the load off 
Um, and I wanted to mention that we're doing a special promotion. If you're interested in Worldwide Parent helping you get set up with some of these, um, we're offering 10% off yes. the membership if you mention the family brain. Yes. So, and we'll have a link to all of these resources on the uh, show notes, and we'll have a link for her webpage. Um, so I guess one of the questions that I'm curious about that we haven't really talked about, well, we talked about banding together and working together with other parents, but what would you say just in, in noticing how parents react? I mean, this can be kind of a touchy issue. Like, don't tell me how to parent my kids. Mm -hmm. What do you think we can do to best support each other to sort of recognize that this is an issue and that people will be doing things have different ways to do this. I know your idea is that everybody's banding together with the same rules. So what what do you suggest? What do you think is the best sort of, I don't know, way to sort of let people know that we're in this together and we're not, we don't have to be adversaries? Right. Well, I don't think that parents should have the same rules. Um, what I'm trying to do is um, make them aware of some of the best practices that they can use based on their rules and what's most important to them. So okay. when you're creating your contract, it, it's going to be your rules, like what's most important to you. Um, and, you know, I think that the categories of things that parents should think about are safety. So um, not making contact with strangers, um, being aware of cyberbullying. Um, second category is physical and mental, uh, just avoiding the physical and mental problems that can exist with overuse of devices like we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And that can depend child to child. Like I noticed some, with some of my kids, they could be on it for a long time, more than they should, mm -hmm. and be fine. And yes. then another person who will remain nameless does not seem fine after that. Right. You know, so just each individual it can affect them differently. Absolutely. And then the third category that I think that parents need to think about when they're deciding what's most important to them in terms of their rules for their kids are etiquette and how they treat other people. Um, so, you know, parents have to think through, like we were saying, do you, is a kid allowed to bring a phone into a restaurant? Are they allowed to bring it on a play date? What happens when, when a kid comes over with a device on a play date? And, and so I, my goal is to kind of raise all of these issues so that parents think through them and decide what's most important to them. Um, and then set it out in a contract and then enforce their rules. Um, you know, there is, there is, like you mentioned, a little bit of a, you know, a challenge with parents, some parents saying like, why, you know, why are, why are you telling me that I should be doing all of this stuff? And I, I think that, you know, parents have to make the decision. Are they, is it important to them or not? Um, I just want to raise the issues so that they they think about it. And if it is important, here are the steps that you can take. Yeah, I love that. Well, I had never even thought about the idea or the issue of a child bringing device over. Right. Because in my mind, the parent, and to me, it seems like this is more prevalent with parents who are divorced, where they, they need to get in touch with yes. the child if they're at someone else's, in the other parent's home. Mm -hmm. And so I've noticed a lot of kids in that circumstance have a phone and I don't want to take away their right. connection point. Yes. But I also, if, for example, if it's a sleepover, you know, I don't want them on this phone, right. you know? So I, I, and I 
in one instance put it on the counter and I said it's here if you need it well they snuck it in mm-hmm. you know and they're they were in big trouble yeah but it's just tricky and I it made me realize that next time I need to have a conversation in advance with the parent yes around what they're okay with and what they're not mm-hmm. okay with and is it okay if I take this phone into my room and if he needs me or if there's an emergency I'll let him use it right you know something like that yes but just these things that you don't really think about until it happens right exactly you know and I think I think that this raises another topic, which is I feel like these rules aren't – they can't be set in stone. Like we're not going to be perfect all of the time. Um, like it might feel awkward to take away some a kid's phone, even though you have a rule to not have a phone. And so maybe you decide not to do it. I mean, I just think that all these things are – we're all going to make mistakes. We're not going to be perfect. But – if we have a goal of, of we're trying to pay attention to these issues, I think that's that's better than nothing. Right, right. Yeah, I was sitting at breakfast. We were going on a flight, and I had given all of my kids iPads, and they're just completely tuned out. And there was this woman sitting next to us. I think she had six little kids, like wow. six kids under six. Oh, my gosh. And they're all interacting. None of them are on an iPad. And I totally was having this like, oh, my gosh. They're all sitting there interacting. and But you know what? whatever right. I don't care yes. I don't want to talk to my children right now like right. for the sake of everyone it's mm-hmm. okay and, and I'm making that decision I don't need to be doing what she's doing right um because I do think sometimes we're just so hard on ourselves of like why can't I do what this person's doing you know right. and, and I, I think, think that's it's... something to take into account right like what are your what is your mental bandwidth for sure yes and also I think just like anything else with your kids that you have to choose your battles so sometimes Sometimes you just don't feel like fighting that battle. And you know what? It's not worth it. Like when you're on a plane mm-hmm. and everybody's tired, it's just not worth it. Um, and so, you know, I, I I don't want to give the impression that I or anybody else is, is, like, is perfect with all of this stuff. I feel like it's just sort of a work in progress and something to, to shoot for. Yeah, I love that. One of the questions I did have was about, pornography how do you how have you, have you talked to your kids about this yet is this something that you've I've done a, a probably not that great job of saying but I've basically said the reason I'm so nervous is there's things on there that I don't want you to see right. and I don't really know that's probably piqued their curiosity right <laughs> yeah it's um it is a really big issue I think um I think that I read that the average age of when a kid sees pornography on a a device is 10 years old. And so uh, the New York Times had a a magazine, had an article a month or two ago about about this issue with teens and how um, they are seeing this, they are seeing pornography and they're seeing it as kind of the way that adults interact with each other intimately, um, whereas it's not. It's like actors and it's, it's like a show. Um, but they think that this is normal behavior and it's affecting how, how they um, anticipate their own intim- intimate life should be. Um, so there was, there was a quote in that article from a teenage boy who said something like, well, you know, if, if women want it rough, then, then that's what I'll do. So he got this idea from watching pornography that – that, that that's really exciting to women. And so that was his, that was his conclusion. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's a really, really hard, you, you actually brought up the book, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. Um, so I think it's tough and I think every parent has to, 
make their own decision about how exactly they're going to talk to their kids about it because, um, you know, I've heard stories of parents of, you know, they'll walk in on a play date and kids are, you know, maybe on somebody else's phone, just like watching pornography, like no big deal. Another friend of mine told me now in, in New York City, you can get internet service on the subway. She said she was sitting next to a teenager just like watching it as if he was reading a book, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so I think it's I think it's a big issue um, for parents. And again, I think it's one of those issues that we haven't really determined how it's going to play out in terms of how our kids develop. Right. No, I think that is, I do like that book and it reminds me that I need to, I think I introduced it way too young Yeah. and they probably are like, what are you even talking about? So right. it's, it, you, it probably, there's a window of time where it would make more sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anything that I haven't asked you about that you were hoping you might be able to talk about or that you were, you think we should know? So one thing that we talked about just very briefly is these the the high levels of anxiety and depression that teenagers are experiencing compared to previous generations. Um, there's a professor at the uh, University of UC San Diego named Jean Twangy, and she has done a ton of research on this. And she has uh, she calls um, kids born after 1995 the iGen because they grew up at a time when cell phones were prevalent. Um, And she has noticed that in some ways they're doing a lot better. There's lower rates of pregnancy. um, There's fewer car accidents. But that's because they're staying at home more. So they don't need to go out to the mall because they're on Snapchat with all of their friends. Um, And so she has noticed that they're not developing the same way that previous generations had and that they're much more likely to be anxious, to be depressed, to uh, try uh, to commit suicide. Um, and so it's just really scary stuff. Yeah. It's almost like we we can appreciate technology for the ability to reach out to someone who we wouldn't be able to see, but that we still just part of being human is needing to be in, connected. Yeah, connected in in flesh and bone interaction, right. you know what I mean? Instead of over the phone or over yes. text or whatever. No, that's, it's, somebody was just telling me about that. A woman I know um, was talking about that with the rates of teen pregnancies. Like, and so somebody was saying, right. oh, that's great news. But she was mm-hmm. saying, actually, a big part of that is because people are just at home in their basements. Right. Like that's, so you have to kind of dig deeper with some of these statistics. Well, why is that happening? Yes. So I think social media, I mean, I just... All so my kids don't have social media, but anytime I was talking to a group of parents at my kids' school who have seventh and eighth graders, and you know they're all on social media, and I asked them, "Is there is there any benefit of it? Like why why would we do this at all? Other than you know you feel like your kid would be left out if they weren't on it. Other than that, is there any reason to do it? And nobody could come up with anything, and." So I'm hoping as as parents become more aware of this issue that potentially we can reduce social media usage. The challenge when 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 I talk about that is that parents who have kids that are older like in high school for example say that's great but my kid's coach uses Snapchat to communicate with the team. And it's like, "Oh my gosh, you know, we're we're sort of now 
not just avoiding social media, but we're using it to, <laughs> like our kid has to get on social media in order to communicate with the coach. Right. So, you know, I'm hoping to raise this as an issue in schools that there's no need for them to, to use Snapchat to communicate with the kids, like send them an email or send them a text. And maybe I sound like a dinosaur. No, um, I think it's a, a fair respect of other people's boundaries too, to say, like, I was thinking about, I'm going to be room mom next year. And I was talking to the other person and saying, well, maybe we could set up a Facebook group. And then I'm like, well, that's not really fair because a lot of people don't want to be on Facebook. Right. And so in my mind, oh, it's a quick, easy way to make sure everybody's connected, but it's not really respecting these boundaries of someone else that they don't really want to be on there. Right, right. So it's just taking that next step to think, you know, what seems like a shortcut or an easy way to do things. What's the bigger implication? Yes. Well, I have loved talking to you. Me too. One of the questions I always ask at the end of each episode is just, you know, with all this hard work we're doing in families and, you know, the stress of having to manage these devices and and the role of being sort of a leader in your family. What do you do for your own self-care? How do you make sure that you're taking care of yourself and keeping your own brain healthy? Yeah, I I love that you asked that question because I love hearing everybody's answers. So interesting. Um, And so I thought about it. I think that my kids are a little bit older now. Um, So when they were younger and very needy, uh, I think that what I did was I tried to get sitters on a regular basis, even if I had nothing to do, even if it was going to be like two hours on a Tuesday. If I hadn't got any sleep the night before, it was something that I could look forward to. Like, I will finally get a break at X time. And so I think that that was really helpful. Like, if you know you're going to get a break, um, you, it's it's much easier to get through really hard times. Um, I think now that they're older... My answer to that question is that I feel very confident that it's not my role and actually would would not help my kids if if I if they got their way all the time, if I helped them with everything. Um I think that they kind of need to do it themselves. And that actually relieves a lot of pressure. It's like, no, I don't have to, you know, bring in cupcakes for your birthday. Like you'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, I, I, I give myself that latitude that I, I just, it's not good for them if I, if I were like super mom. And so therefore I'm not. I like that approach. <laughs> I'm going to take that. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. That's great. And it, I think it's true. I mean, you know, getting them, I just taught my kids, I think I mentioned this on an earlier episode, but we had all these sports and I think sometimes overscheduling the kids makes it so that I don't have time to teach them very basic things. So yeah. I had this time to like teach them how to make an egg. Yes. And now they love making egg sandwiches. I mean, and it's still super messy, but it's just nice. I mean, if they're hungry, they have a couple options of things that they can make for themselves. So right. it, I don't have to get off my device. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but another benefit of that is that your kids are feel so proud of themselves. Yes. And are so empowered. Right. right? Like if you, it, it, you're giving them a gift of right. doing it themselves. It's true. My kids went to camp a couple of days ago and my eight-year-old wanted to iron on the, the name tags onto all of her things. And that's the kind of thing where we're like, oh my God, really? Um, but she did it. Like I, I kind of watched her do it, but she did it and she wanted to do it, you know, on all her sister's ones and all of her sister's clothes and her clothes and she just felt very empowered to be doing to be doing this task that's awesome 
I love that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and sharing everything you know. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Family Brain. If you'd like to learn more about Worldwide Parent, check out Laura's website, which is worldwideparent.com. And if you would love to leave a review, that would be a huge help for me. Um, Reviews and ratings on iTunes are a great way to promote the podcast and help more people find it. And if you'd like to become a part of the Family Brain community, I have a Facebook group, The Family Brain. If you look it up on Facebook, I can add you to the group. And then I also have an Instagram platform, which is Family Brain Podcast. And on that, I promote upcoming episodes and try to pick your brain a little bit about topics that you're interested in. So thanks for listening and thanks to Game Day Media for helping produce the podcast. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.